Hello and welcome to the InFocus podcast. I'm G. Sampath, the Hindu's social affairs editor. Today, the government passed the Foreign Contribution Regulation Amendment Bill 2020 in the Lok Sabha. The bill amends the Foreign Contribution Regulation Act 2020, or what is known as FCRA. The FCRA regulates the acceptance and utilization of foreign funds by individuals, associations, and companies. Civil society organizations and NGOs, however, are not quite happy with the changes proposed in this new bill. Some of the terms they have used to describe it include draconian, cumbersome, and detrimental. So what are the changes proposed in the FCRA amendment bill? Why are NGOs so concerned about it? And what is the likely impact of the bill on the development sector? To help us understand these questions, we have with us Venkatesh Nayak, who has worked extensively on issues of social justice and public audit mechanisms and is currently with the Commonwealth Human Rights Initiative. Venkatesh, however, is, will be speaking to us today uh, in his individual capacity. Venkatesh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, to start with, uh, can you just give us a background uh, of the issues behind uh, this amendment bill and, uh, and the context behind this? Yeah. Certainly. Um, to start with, I think it's important for you know your audience to know that the FCRA Act of 2010, uh, 2010 is actually a successor to a much older law. The first Foreign Contribution Regulation Act was passed in 1975 during the times of emergency which was imposed by the central government. So the primary purpose of bringing this law was to prevent political parties from accessing funds from foreign sources for electoral purposes. However, 1990 onwards, when the civil society sector in India expanded, uh, this law was increasingly applied to not just regulate, but even curb the activities of non-governmental organizations that were receiving foreign funding and foreign contributions. So the current amendment proposals cover about, uh, about eight areas of concern, and I will first enumerate them one by one and then I'll explain the uh, problems with each one of them. The, uh, the most sinister of the amendment proposals is to empower the government to conduct a kind of an inquiry before renewing the registration certificate that's given to an NGO. Um, the second proposal is to reduce the cap on administrative expenses. Uh, in the original act, it was uh, 50%. Now the government wants to bring it down to 20%. Uh, third, uh, equally concerning uh, change that they want to bring in is to suspend, is to, it's actually the expansion of the period for which a uh, validly registered NGO's certificate, registration certificate can be suspended uh, for violating any of the provisions of the Act. Earlier in the law, it was, uh, right now it is about 180 days, but the government wants the power to expand it to another 180 days, which means effectively for a full year the certificate can stand suspended by the government. Uh, similarly, concerning is the prohibition that is being proposed on transfer of foreign contributions received by an organization that has a certificate of prior approval to any other person. Now, who is this any other person is also not made very clear in the law because when you look at the definition of the term person given in the principal act, it only covers uh, uh, you know, a natural person, companies, societies, trusts, etc. It's not very clear whether the transfer, the prohibition proposal will apply to situations where 
transfer happens from one registered NGO to another FCRA registered NGO. Uh, then um, the next proposal is of uh, the provision to surrender registration certificate before five years are complete. What is not clear is whether assets that have been also received because foreign contribution can include uh, contributions in kind. So if assets have been received and do they also have to be surrendered along with the certificate is not made very clear. The compulsoriness of submitting Aadhaar number for the principles of the organization that is being registered. Uh, they could be key functionaries, director or board members. Now this is another hugely concerning issue because uh, in my humble opinion, it is violative of the principles laid down in the constitution bench judgment by nine judges in the Puttaswami, Justice Puttaswami versus uh, uh, Union of India case. Um, and uh, uh, then of course, the inclusion uh, of the definition, uh, the definitional criteria for public servants picked up from the Indian Penal Code uh, and inserting that into the definition of organizing or the list of people who are prohibited from accepting foreign contribution. Now, these are broadly speaking the amendment proposals. Now, the most I come to the most uh, worrisome and the most sinister and the one that is going to have a hugely debilitating effect on the organizations that are uh, registered under the FCRA is the procedure for conducting an inquiry before renewal. You see, under the 1975 Foreign Contribution Act, uh, when it was in, uh, in force, once you completed all the formalities and the Home Ministry gave you registration, that registration was valid permanently. You did not have to apply for renewal of the registration again and again. But that position is changed by the law, uh, 2010 law where they make the validity period of registration limited to five years. So every five years, you have to go back to the MH Home Ministry for uh, renewing your uh, certificate for that makes you eligible for receiving foreign contribution. Now, what is problematic with amendment proposals? Right now, the proposals seek to empower the government conduct an inquiry before renewing the certificate of an already registered NGO. Now, what does it mean? You see, when the 2010 Act came into force, replacing the 1975 law, there was a provision that saved the already registered NGOs. They were not required to freshly register under the new law, but their registration period, the validity continued for a period of five years from 2010 onwards. And since the law itself became fully operational 2011 onwards, it came up to 2016. So the first batch of NGOs that had to apply for the renewal did so in the year 2016 and 17. Now, for this batch of NGOs, several hundreds, approximately even thousands of NGOs, their five years will be completed next year in 2021. And several others will come up for renewal in 2022. This is the first batch, which completes its five years under the 2010 law. So what is the implication of this most sinister of amendment proposals that the government is going to conduct an inquiry. The procedure for conducting that inquiry is not very clear. So they are going to look at whether the organization seeking renewal of its certificate has violated any of the provisions of the FCRA. Now, what are those provisions which could be considered, you know, which are violated, you know, that would become a ineligibility criteria that is given in section 12 of the 2010 FCRA Act. So if uh, somebody has set up the NGO 
in a fictitious manner or you know it's a binary ngo or if the organizations principal functionaries have been convicted for indulging in activities aimed at conversion uh, of you know from one religion to another religion to inducement or force even if they were to engage in that indirectly creating communal tension or disharmony um, diversion of uh, user of the foreign uh, contribution or funds misutilization um diverting it for undesirable purposes now what is undesirable purposes is not defined either in the act or in the rules using it for personal gains of course that is understandable which is prohibited in any case then um uh, even more you know more worrisome is the principle law says that you could even be refuse registration if you accept the foreign contribution for undertaking activities that the government thinks are prejudicially affecting the sovereignty or integrity of india or when the activities that in the government's opinion may prejudicially affect the security strategic scientific or economic interests of the india of india or if the activities in the government's view may prejudicially affect the public interest now what is the public interest is not defined anywhere it's a very ca- big vague catch all category so this is a very wide variety of criteria which will become the subject matter of the basis of conducting inquiries and omas entire sections of the ngo sector can be refused at uh, renewal of registration you see earlier what the government was doing was it would selectively target ngos like for example greenpeace or lawyers collective or people's watch tamil nadu or several such other organizations who have been in the receiving them of the regulatory wagging of this you know uh, stick of uh, the fcra but this renewal provision if it receives parliamentary approval and it is assented to by the president then it will literally launch a kind of a summary witch hunt against a whole range of non government organizations which work using foreign funding and anything or any activity of theirs can be misinterpreted misconstrued and mislabeled and simply you know refuse registration so this kind of a catch all power it's literally like a uh, you know a power of olympian uh, you know uh, magnitude the government is seeking for itself in order to be able to control civil society organizations that you receive foreign funding so the larger political context now why is this important to see the larger political context the larger political context is the shrinking civil society space over the last several years almost 8 to 10 years it is not not happened not only happened under the present government it had happened under the upa government also which brought in this 2010 law so that is going to get much worse uh, by uh, you abusing this new set of powers that the government seeks for itself and rather than target ngos one by one so that is hugely concerning for uh, the not only the uh, foreign funded ngos which are part of the civil society sector but the whole lot of other collaborative ngos you see these organizations don't work in silos we work with community level organizations community based organizations there are group level organizations all of whom do not necessarily uh, have the permission to receive uh, foreign funding the ngo sector is essentially all about you know collaborative work in much the same way as collaborative work happens in the for profit sector i mean the whole business of uh, assembly line technique of production where a products component parts come from different different uh, manufacturing outfits that is collaborative work eventually it gets put together somewhere so similarly a lot of ngo work also gets done you know collaborative manner and uh, you know by the new set of proposals that the government has managed to secure approval of the lok sabha are going to spa- put a spanner in the works you know for a whole segment of civil society and uh, you mentioned something about the uh, the cap on uh, 
how much uh, of this funding, uh, foreign funds, can be used for administrative expenses? I mean, why, uh, why is that a big concern if, if you're going to be reducing the cap from 50% to 20%? Yes. How does that affect uh, the sector? Yes, of course. You see, the term administrative expenses is not defined in the CRA Act of 2010, but a listing of what constitute administrative expenses are given in the foreign contribution you know, rules of 2011. And they include salaries, wages, travel expenses, other kinds of remuneration, uh, spending of money on consumables like electricity, water charges, telephone charges. It will even include internet and uh, you know other forms of social media communication. Uh, administrative expenses include cost of accounting for and administering these funds, expenses on running and maintaining vehicles that are used at the field level for doing field work, legal and professional charges like if you are hiring legal opinion, uh, uh, seeking legal opinion, you have to pay those fees, then that will come under administrative expenses. Even renting of premises of the NGO, if they don't own their own premises, even renting will actually is covered by administrative expenses. Repairs carried out to the premises will be covered by these administrative expenses. So what is going to happen? If the cap is reduced from 50% to 20%, the ability of the NGOs to pay salaries, their ability to travel about, to do the work that is legitimately required to be done as per their mandate and as per the project documents which they have received for, through which they have received funding, you know, a whole a lot of that gets completely adversely affected. Now, let's take this. What would be the impact of, uh, you know, the cap on salaries? You see, today, the NGO sector has become, you know, very, very highly professional. It's not just I who is part of the sector who is saying that, but there are studies conducted by foreign universities which have looked at the vibrant civil society sectors in developing countries like India and their work and their outputs and they are saying that there is a lot of professionalism that has gone in. Now, professionalism comes from people who are highly skilled and trained and most of these people are young people. You know, there, is a, there are a lot of lawyers who would want to join the, who are actually joining the civil society sector and many of them expect to get reasonably well paid to keep body and soul together. Now, if you cut down on administrative expenses, it means effectively that you are cutting down on the capacity of the NGO to pay a reasonable amount of money as remuneration to these young, skilled and talented people who can do wonders at the ground level in terms of people's empowerment or, you know, demanding accountability and empowering people to demand accountability from the government. A whole range of activities in which they are involved. So all of that is going to cut, you know, going to get cut down if these proposals of cap from reducing the cap from 50% to 20% actually goes through and becomes law. So the outreach of the NGOs is going to get reduced. The ability of donor agencies to, you know, uh, uh, fund the activities of NGOs that have a well-established reputation is going to be reduced because they can no longer give money to them to cover these, uh, you know, expenses like uh, they used to do earlier. Which means then there will have to be more and more NGOs that will be um, uh, required to be uh, supported for doing the same kind of work which one NGO was doing earlier. And I don't know how all of this is going to work in light of that other proposal that they are saying that an organization that is already registered cannot transfer the foreign contribution or the foreign funding to another organization. So how is all of this going to work together in one common framework is something that is completely, you know, befuddling and difficult to understand because there is no clarity either in the proposals themselves or in the statement of objects and reasons that have been attached to the bill. And one thing that is sorely missing, it was common practice earlier to attach a clause-by-clause -clause explanation for every provision of the bill that was tabled in Parliament. Even that clause-by-clause -clause explanation is completely missing from this bill. So it's not very clear as to what is the purpose that the government is going to 
you know, uh, fulfill or serve by putting a cap on administrative expenses of NGOs. Does this mean that uh, the scale of uh, operation of NGOs uh, will necessarily uh, become very yeah, small? Obviously, because, because uh, for example, if you receive the 100 rupees, and out of which, let us say, you spent about 40 to 45 rupees on administrative expenses, now you can spend only 20. So in order to be able to spend that remaining, let's say, uh, you know, out of uh, 45, uh, sorry, um, if, if the expenses were capped at 45% and the project expenses in terms of actual activities were kept at about 55%, to be able to spend that money, you actually need warm bodies and those people have to be paid. So you need people to be able to be hired to do the kind of work, the very highly technical work, the ground level work. And if salaries are not available, then you won't have enough people to do the work, which means you don't have enough money. Even if more money is actually made available for other kinds of project activities, there won't be enough people to do it. So naturally, the size of the NGO, the scale of the NGO's operations, all of that will come down. So effectively, this amounts to curbing civil society space in the name of regulating them. According to the statistics available on the FCRE online website set up by the Home Ministry, there are about 40, close to 49,000 such organizations. So a large majority of them involved in grassroots level work, um, human rights-related work, environment-related work, empowerment-related work, everybody's work will be affected by this time. No, on this on this question of uh, public servant uh, definition being made more broad, I mean, at a fundamental level, what is wrong in a, a public servant having a running an NGO and uh, uh, using foreign funds to run it? I mean, what's wrong with that in principle? In principle, um, they say there is a prohibition because when you are a public servant, particularly when you are in government employee, or you are a public sector enterprise employee or manager, or if you are a police officer or a prisons officer, or or if you are with the election commission. The conduct rules applicable to these public servants certainly does not permit them to engage in any other kind of employment, which is precisely why you see the alternative route taken by most of these people, including mem you know, members of parliament and state legislatures and other politicians, they are spouses, they are close family members, they run NGOs and they get money. It's not because of their own individual uh, you know, uh, capacity or capabilities that they get it, it's because of their proximity to these people who are in power. So if at all you know, there was any uh, requirement for expanding this uh, definition of public servant. Of course, what they've done right now, or what they're proposing right now, is certainly you know not going to be a huge problem as far as the civil society sector is concerned. But it does not take care of the problem of the you know bhai bhatija and uh, you know the bivi shohar you know, relations of these public servants who receive foreign funding through their NGOs. I mean, it is common knowledge that these are, this is the manner in which. These, uh, these individuals were actually prohibited from using foreign funding or receiving foreign funding actually ensure that foreign funding does come into somebody who is near or dear to them. You know, this law should actually enable, you know, it's a regulatory law. It is not a prohibitory law. It should facilitate receipt of foreign funding for legitimate purposes. Unfortunately, it is being used as a tool to curtail spaces available for civil society. And when I say spaces for civil society, I am putting it in a larger context of the inadequacy of domestic funds being available for these kinds of activities. You see, today, domestic funding from Indian sources is available if I want to set up a school, if I want to set up a hospital, if I want to, uh, uh, you know, do something in terms of, uh, uh, you know, going and, uh, uh, you know, uh, teaching, uh, you know, various laws to uh, people, uh, you know, living in rural areas. But in terms of the kind of work, like human rights education, or um, uh, let us say, how do you do social audits? 
how do you do uh, citizen report cards there is hardly any work, uh, domestic funding available for this kind of work so accountability seeking dimension of civil society activity has very very little support from domestic sources and that is a huge problem the government should actually enable access to domestic funding and retain access to foreign funding for these matters unfortunately what the government seems to be doing through these amendment proposals is to not address the inadequacy of domestic funding but curtail the space available for receiving legitimate foreign money for doing this work right so there is one aspect uh, which uh, we haven't touched upon uh, which is the requirement that you need to have an account uh, in a state bank of india branch yes. in delhi no matter you might be in uh, in kanyakumari or assam or wherever you might be functioning from whatever place but to get foreign funding you need to have an account in this bank in delhi like yes how bizarre is that I mean, does, it, does it does it is there a rationale for this yes of course uh, although the law does not the amendment proposes the statement of objection reasons attached to it does not explain what the rationale is because we do not have a clause by clause explanation in this bill you know which is something that is becoming a trend of late where parliament is not being told why specific amendment proposals are being brought in but when you look at the latest data available on the website the dedicated website for foreign uh, contribution regulation that is fcra online i just downloaded it a little while before we started this interview there are about 49859 registered organizations that are eligible for receiving foreign funding and believe you me state wise data is available here and i did a quick calculation 94.27% of these organizations out of 49000 are all registered outside delhi there are only 2855 registered organizations inside delhi which means these 92.27 94.27% organizations all situated outside delhi will have to struggle to get a bank account opened in some branch or the other of the state bank of india in delhi how is that going to happen especially when you are cutting down your administrative expenses whose address are you going to give for identity proof some board member of yours has, has to be available here or your head office or branch office has to be opened here and without that i don't think any account is going to be opened unless the government comes up with some other mechanism for ensuring that irrespective of wherever you are based in india based on minimal documentation supportive documentation you will be able to open a bank account in an sbi branch in delhi there is no clarity on that at all what will they do in the rules you know remains uh, um, you know just a guesswork so this is another debilitating you know uh, uh, impact of uh, the amendment proposal because in the original law what it says is that you can open only one bank or one account in which you will receive foreign funding and that account can be opened in any scheduled bank in any branch so that means you can use it to your convenience so the rationale for in all of this what it seems to be is that the government does not want to do the painstaking work of collecting reports from all the, you know banks which are eligible which were eligible earlier to uh, uh, you know where one could open uh, the foreign contribution account so instead they would all want it in one place which is right next to their office perhaps somewhere near north block and they would want to just send out an email to them and say just send us this information and they will be able to control it so the two to three people who actually sit in the fcra division are uh, looking at fcra acts uh, implementation their convenience is ensured so how do you think uh, uh, is there is there a positive side because some people would argue that uh, this is a good opportunity for uh, domestic fundraising talent to come to the fore you know there is it's not that you know uh, there is there isn't 
the scope for increasing uh, fundraising within the country you know you can uh, raise uh, funds domestically as well and there are uh, many ngos who raise funds domestically and are doing good work so what is the problem uh, in taking that opportunity i think what needs to be analyzed is the kind of work that can be done using domestic funding governance related work gets very little support from any domestic agency there is hardly anybody development related work certainly gets it like i said setting up schools teaching somebody tailoring classes running self help groups you name it there is money available for that but at the same time citizen empowerment is not just about economic empowerment it is also about intellectual empowerment it is about educating people to recognize their relationship with the state as a citizen and not simply as a subject or somebody who is a consumer of public services there is hardly any money for doing that kind of work for example if you look at the portfolio of activities put in schedule 7 of the companies act of 2013 where permissible activities are mentioned for receipt of csr contributions from private and public sector companies a lot of the work that a lot of you know organizations receiving foreign funding in the governance sector they are simply ineligible there is no money simply available for that kind of work philanthropists some are doing fantastic work they they do support some of you know the organizations uh, you know which are in the business of uh, collecting data or you know uh, which are in the business of monitoring the implement of some welfare schemes or programs but that's something that's not really very large the portfolio of such funders also is very very you know severely uh, limited it's, it's very small in the country if local funding is available believe you me if local funding is available domestic funding is available there will not be so much of a beeline made for foreign funding because it is much more cumbersome for organizations to go and access foreign funding you know inadequacy of domestic funding is what makes these organizations dependent on foreign funding the amount of money that goes into places of worship of any uh, you know faith could be hindu christian or islamic and you compare that money with what comes to the civil society sector the latter is just a tiny fraction of that money so you would say that so would it be correct to say that uh, so these these amendments if they in so far as they have a a negative effect uh, in terms of funding for the non profit sector they are more likely to affect certain kinds of ngos more than others say they not they may not be so uh, detrimental to ngos which are doing uh, mainstream uh, welfare work but they might have a, a bigger effect on ngos which are doing work that are to do with demanding accountability from the government are uh, tracking the performance of the government that those kinds of ngos are more likely to be affected than ngos that are doing straightforward uh, welfare work absolutely right because that exactly has been the trend not just for the last few years but ever since the 2010 act was you know brought into force the capability okay. of organizations to work in the governance sector human rights empower you know education sector in the people citizens empowerment sector is increasingly being curtailed because that is a sector from which questions are raised about accountability that is a sector in which people are actually able to open up their minds and demand greater degree of participation in the governance of this country and it is that set of activities which are going to be very negatively affected by these kinds of restrictive amendments okay so now finally uh, well, I mean, let's assume that this is going to uh, be notified uh, into a law uh, very soon what are the options uh, now available for uh, ngos and uh, non profits which are in the accountability and rights based uh, campaign uh, kind of a space like what are, what what can they do now 
what are their options yeah so what is it that the ngos are doing right now uh, lok sabha has already passed it so many uh, leaders of the civil society sector particularly those and not just those who are you uh, know receiving foreign contributions so it is not just self interest it's also representatives of organizations that are not dependent on foreign funding they have also expressed their support against these amendment proposals so they are uh, engaging with lawmakers in the rajya sabha to persuade the government to put this before a select committee let there be a consultative process let ngos views also be heard let the views of beneficiaries or the people who are affected by ngos work also be heard and if for example the government using its it's already used its group majority in the lok sabha to get this bill through if it uses its adept floor management in the rajya sabha to get support for this bill as well then it goes to the president then most probably the ngos are certainly going to petition the president to say please send it back for reconsideration because our views have not been heard but if the honorable president also goes ahead and puts his assent to this law then the only you know remaining thing would be for the ngos to go to the courts the constitutional courts and challenge the veracity on a variety of grounds that i have already mentioned some of them are practical implementation issues some of them are principle based issues in terms of equal treatment and fair treatment in the eyes of the law so there are several grounds and i'm sure lawyers are working with many of the ngo leaders to you know mount a legal challenge to these amendment proposals uh, so uh, in conclusion i guess uh, one could probably uh, say that uh, the most worrying uh, aspect of this amendment the amendment bill is that uh, it could have a chilling effect on uh, non profit organizations which are working in the realm of uh, governance accountability and rights based uh, empowerment of citizens and uh, one big problem is that the ngos voice uh, has not been heard in the way uh, this bill is being uh, piloted through the lok sabha and the rajya sabha and finally uh, there are limited options for uh, the various stakeholders to make their points uh, heard in the entire process and it remains to be seen uh, how this plays out uh, thank you so much uh, venkatesh for uh, sharing your views on this thank you so much for joining thank you sampath for inviting me i really appreciate the gesture thank you very much